get to Genesis 15. So in Genesis uh, 15, and uh, I'd ask that you kind of do a, a little bit of homework um, as we're doing our, our Genesis um, sprint right now. We're doing Genesis 12 through 50 in eight weeks. And so last week you read about three chapters. This week you read about uh, three and a half chapters. And a couple of weeks you're going to read one chapter. That's whenever you get to like just really enjoy that one chapter. Um, but then as we get closer to the end of Genesis, you're going to be reading about uh, 11 to 12 chapters um, in that final week. So pace yourself now so that you're ready for that 12 chapter sprint. Uh, here's what I, here's what, <clears throat> excuse me, here's what I think though. A lot of this is something that you've already read at, at different points, probably throughout your walk. So we're just, we're, we're kind of trying to piece it together because you probably read like I read and, and that's where, well, I'm going to read chapter one and chapter one is its own little capsule. And so it's over here. So I studied chapter one of Genesis and, and it's done. And then I read chapter two and chapter two is done, but we, we, we read chapter by chapter or sometimes section by section, but we also don't want to forget that those all piece together. There's a, a Bible called the Reader's Bible. Um, and what it does is it does leave the chapters, the chapter breakdowns in it, but it also removes all of the verses and all of the headings because whenever the, the manuscripts were originally written, they weren't written with chapter and verse breakdowns. Those are just there for us. So for me to say, turn to Genesis chapter 15, there was no original 1-5 that designated a chapter 15. There was just a manuscript. There were just words uh, and characters on a page. So it is good to go back and visit and see how all these things piece together. Um, it's just like we can take a teaching of Jesus and a teaching of Jesus and a teaching of Jesus, and we can study them independently, but we also need to study them all together because there, there's a beauty there that he spoke all of them. He spoke them all in a real context. For example, I didn't just get up and, and, and lead in prayer and then save everything else that I want to save until tomorrow than to share this part and then to wait for another day. So it all flows together. So as we read and we see Scripture divided into sections, just know that, that they were spoken in a real context. And it wasn't always he spoke these five verses and then he was silent for the rest of the day, but he spoke those other five and those other ten. All that for Genesis. Y'all, Genesis is a history. It was written as a history. It was studied and it was believed to be a history. So we want to study it and look at it as history and what's the history? It's, a, it's the history of Israel. We get that. But you know what it really is? It's the history of God's beginning of his redemptive work. This is where we don't see the beginning of God because God has no beginning. We just see the beginning of God's redemptive work and in, in his creative work in creating the earth and creating time and creating mankind and then seeking to redeem them and the promise of a Savior. But what happened before Genesis? We don't know except that there was a mysterious existence of God for all time. We'll never be able to wrap our heads around that. We only know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What came before in the beginning? John 1.1, 1, 1. in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Genesis 1.1 1, 1 tells us the beginning of these things. John 1 tells us that even before the beginning of these things which we know, there was simply God. So that's the mysterious God who's making himself known. And today we're going to see that if last week God called Abraham, 
Then this week, God covenants with Abraham. But we're going to end with, y'all, we have a God who covenants with his people. And we sit here today because we have a God who covenants with his people. That is exciting and it's joyful. But I don't think I got up this morning drinking a cup of coffee and going, thanks for your covenants. Like just, We don't think in covenantal terms. But I'm telling you, all the goodness of God, all the grace of God is because he covenants with us. So I want us to look at that. And I'm going to do my absolute best to try to communicate this as clearly as I possibly can. Whenever you read these three to four chapters, we're not going to preach word by word, just a reminder, through all of those three to four chapters. We're, we're trying to find the heart of what's really going on. Um, now next week, you're going to read about, I believe, four chapters, and we're looking at the grace and the judgment of God in each one of those. And, and so that one's kind of a wide scope. But today, I really want us to just look... And though you read through 18, I want us to hone in on chapter 15. So if y'all will, Genesis 15, I'm in the ESV. We're going to read this, and then I want us to really look at this. What is a covenant? And to be quite honest, why does this even matter? That's, that's why we gather. If we gather according to Ephesians, and all the leaders and the teachers and the preachers and the apostles and the evangelists, all of them have one purpose according to Scripture. It's not to entertain it's not to tickle ears. It's not to grow a large crowd. It's to do what? Equip the saints. So if we just read scripture, but you don't understand why that matters, then you can't be equipped. But we want you here to be equipped. And so that's kind of the, the main paradigm of how we do ministry. Does it equip the saints to do the work of ministry? Does it grow the saints? If not, we probably won't be doing it. But I, by the way, I do think fellowship and being able to gather joyfully that is equipping okay so it's not like we're only gonna do scholarly activities but i want i'm saying that to say we need to look at the covenants and you need to understand why this matters because to me whenever we understand why this matters then so much more glory goes to god like i hope that that's what you see by the end is that you see that the abrahamic covenant is actually a pretty big deal but what's bigger is the new covenant that this, was, that this was starting to build towards. So, okay, here we go. That's the, the long prelude, Genesis 15. After these things, what things? The things that happened in chapter 14. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heavens and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then God said to Abram, So shall your offspring be. And he, Abram, believed the Lord, and he counted, God counted to him as righteousness. And God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am, I, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And Abram brought him all of these, cut them in half, laid each half against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. 
As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring, I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites and the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. What a great way to end the passage, right? All these people we know nothing about. But I really do. I want us to look in there. This is a very, very, very significant passage. Genesis 15, where the Lord covenants with Abraham, is a very significant passage. Okay, but let's answer this question. Um, Here's kind of the scope. What is a covenant? What's the big deal with the Abrahamic covenant? And what about all the other covenants? That's kind of where we're moving. So what is a covenant? I told you last week that, that if Brad and I were to make a deal on something, that we would shake hands because we would agree to it. And, and that's kind of the closest thing that we would probably in general associate with a covenant, like just on a daily basis. The truth is, that's really, really, really not what a covenant is, okay? That's just the closest thing in our culture that, that we would hold to, so that for me, if I tell you I'm going to do something and I shake on it, I'm as, I'm as good as my word on that. That's, that's kind of the association. But now we know contracts and deals are broken, handshakes mean nothing, and somebody can say one thing and then do another because that's just the world we live in, right? That's just the human way. That's not how a covenant works. That's just the closest that we could get. Probably closer to a covenant, to be quite honest, is that would be fun if I had that maraca and I started going on the, um, the probably the closest is whenever we were kids we were kind of twisted and we had this saying cross my heart hope to die what stick a million needles in my eye oh my word like we were there was something wrong with us like, it wasn't even that we were, we were willing to die, but we were willing to stick needles in our eyes. Like, but to be quite honest, that's closer to the heart of a covenant than our handshakes these days. Because what were we willing to do whenever we made that promise? We were willing to die for it or torture ourselves for it. We were willing to put ourselves out. Even at a young age, we knew that what we said had to be true because we cross our heart, we hope to die, we will stick a million needles in our eyes. Some of you only said one needle. It's because you didn't put enough seriousness into it, okay? I heard you. Y'all, that, that really is closer. A covenant uh, really was an oath-bound promise. Not just, I promise I'm going to do this and let's shake on it and I'm going to do my very best, but it was an oath-bound promise. We don't covenant really anymore except that there actually is one within the church and there should be within culture 
that, that you probably can associate with just a little bit more. Okay, so kids, whenever we were kids, we kind of got it. Whenever we promise something, there's a seriousness to it. Back in the, the 80s and 90s, we also did, um, which you, you definitely can't do this these days. Um, and now I look back, I'm like, man, I don't want to tell people we did this. But do y'all remember Blood Brothers and Blood Sisters? You, you would prick your finger and then you, would, you were bringing your blood together. And that was a way of saying, I'm here, you're there. That, there's nothing that's going to break this bond. That's closer to the heart of a covenant than a handshake right now. Because a handshake is really more like a contract. It's a deal. You fulfill your terms of the contract. I'm going to fulfill my terms of the contract. And therefore, we meet in the middle. A covenant is oath-bound on both sides where two parties say we are absolutely bound by this oath. We will fulfill this. We will not break it, even at stake and risk of death. Okay, so, so moving there. Marriage is a covenant. We see that marriage is a covenant in the Bible, and we fight for it, and we uphold it, and we, we, we strive for it because it's a covenant. Here's how we know it's a covenant. Here's, here's the heart of it. Now, I'm not, in our culture, it's not. In our culture, it's a handshake. I mean, or at best, a, a knuckle bump, right? But in the church and in Scripture, it's a covenant. When you stand there, and, and you're, you're vowing, you're making your oath. At no point in my mind was there ever any consideration that Chas was not meaning anything of what she was saying in that moment. There was a deep-seated trust and peace that what she was vowing was absolutely true. I hope, she's not here, but I hope that as she was standing there and I'm making my vows, my oaths to her, that there was peace and, and assuredness that what I was saying, I deeply and truly meant, even to the point of death, through, through sickness, through death, whatever comes, I will uphold my vow, my oath to her, and vice versa. That's a covenant. Y'all with me? Okay, so throughout the Bible, there are human covenants, and then there are divine covenants. We're going to look at the divine covenants today because... To be quite honest, these are the ones that really matter. These are the ones that make us that should make us go, wow, wow, like that's that God for me. He is going to covenant with us. That's amazing. But you and I can covenant together so that whenever our yes is yes and our no is no and we're fulfilling scripture, we're covenanting. We, we trust each other for what we vow to do. Y'all, the, the truth is, is that we, we've lost this, the stake of covenant except in very special situations anymore. They're powerful. Whenever you're reading scripture and it says that these two enemies covenanted together and you're sitting there wondering like, why, why is he trusting him? Why is he covenanting? It was obviously um, through, um, through deceit that this covenant came about and yet they're going to honor it because that's the power of a covenant. You don't break the covenant unless there's risk of death. You're willing to die to uphold the value of the covenant. So a few things about the covenants, especially the divine ones that we're going to see, but you'll see them in the human covenants, especially in the Old Testament. There's, there's going to be an oath or a promise. There is typically going to be a, an animal sacrifice. There will be blood is what it comes down to. Okay, There's going to be some sort of sacrifice. And then there's going to be a sign. So you'll watch these three. That's kind of the paradigm of a covenant. I vow to you that this is what I'm going to do. 
We need to make this legitimate, so we're going to go get our cows, our goats, our chickens, our doves, whatever animal it is that we have within our house, and we're going to cut them in two, and then we're going to celebrate through their blood, and this is going to, that shows the seriousness of it. Okay, some of you are already fast-tracking. You're like, wait a second, in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, his blood, he's the great lamb. Yep, and the, the sign for all of eternity, like it's all there, and it all began in Genesis. Like Genesis is not just that book that's back there. Genesis has shown us the roots of what will grow into the fullness of God's redemption. It's good to go back. Okay, so watch for, watch for this as we go through. I'm going to break it down, but we're looking for the promise, for the, the animal sacrifice, and for the sign. And then we're going we're to look at how does this fit into the full scope. Okay, so the Abrahamic covenant, not going to lie. Big question as I read it, like just as a, a just as a Christian waking up, moving through my quiet time, okay, that's, that's God's promise to Abraham, big deal. Like, big deal, because I don't live then, and Abraham's dead, and Israel is, is not here, but, but I know they've got a lot of wars going on, and then they'll have peace, and the news keeps covering them, and, and, but I'm here in America, and we're gathered in a cafeteria, and we love the Lord, why in the world does this matter? You're going to see that, I hope. Okay, so here it is, the Abrahamic covenant, the promise. Take a look at verse 5. So here's the promise that God made. And he, by the way, the he's and the hymns, a very good intentional exercise is to figure out the he's and the hymns. Because he talks to him and him doesn't always match up with who he is. And so you got to know the he's and the him's and the him's and the he's because they do get interspersed. And so as I'm reading, I try to throw in God or, or Abram. But if you ever read it and you're like, wait a second, who, who's the he, who's the him? It's good to go into your Bible and write God and Abram so that you can always remember who the he is and who the him is. So, and he brought him outside. So, and God brought Abram outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now keep in mind, what did Abram just, just ask? Because Abram left in chapter 12. God said, go and I'm going to make you a great nation. And now Abram has journeyed a little while and he's in the land and he's like, how in the world am I going to have offspring to fill this place if I don't even have an offspring? And so this is God's response to him. It says, look at the stars, and if you can number them, that's what your offspring shall be. And one of the things that we looked at last week is that in Galatians, it tells us that if we are, the, if we are seated in Christ, if we are Christians, then we are also the offspring of Abraham. So our heritage actually goes back further than any family tree that we can trace on, on Ancestry.com right now. Our heritage as Christians goes all the way back to that call of Abraham. And we know as Christians, it goes even further back to the Garden of Eden. But look toward the heaven, number the stars, if you're able to number them. In other words, you can't even number the stars, Abraham. There's no way you're going to be able to count for your offspring. Now, verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Notice how it doesn't say they covenanted together, by the way. God made a covenant with Abram. God did this. He says, to your offspring. Abraham, I, the God who created all things, I give this land. 
And then it, it explains the different tribes that are and clans that are already filling the land. Okay, so what does God promise? Promises to give him offspring that are going to outnumber the stars. You and I are of that offspring. Your family members who have passed away, who have passed away and are, are in heaven with him, they are of that offspring. Your children, your, your spouses, they are the offspring. You and I, if the Lord tarries, like if, if the world keeps going on and we pass away and then our children and our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, our great-great-grandchildren, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, they are the offspring of Abraham. So from this moment, that's what God is promising. There's this idea that whenever we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised at how many people won't be there. I think that there's a very good cynical truth to that. We're saying that there's a lot of people who think that they're Christians and they're really not Christians. But I think that whenever we get to heaven, we're going to be amazed that God's people fill the earth. We will not go to like heaven whenever it is translated and earth is revived. Like we are going to fill the earth with his glory. That was the original intent of Genesis 1. Whenever he creates all things and then he creates man in Genesis 2 and he says go multiply and fill the earth. The whole point was to go fill the earth with people who know me, who love me, who call upon my name and who will give me glory forever and ever and ever. We humans just had a different idea. We're here. God doesn't get the glory. We need the glory. And that's when everything broke. In eternity, God's desire will be fulfilled. He will have filled the earth with his glory and with people who care for his glory. It's not going to be like the biggest concert that you've ever been to and then just like multiply that by two or three and then that great crowd is like gathered and they're singing praises to the king and then the show ends and then we all go out and do our own things. No, the earth will be full of his glory. Everywhere people will fill the earth and you should read some of the descriptions of heaven because there will be no sea because we will be filling the earth with who his people are. So just keep that in mind. Yes, there are going to be many who will get there and will be surprised because wide is the gate that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to God. But don't forget, God has been redeeming people from the beginning and he will redeem them till the end. We have no idea how great his power and mercy is. So that's really, and we're a part of that. We are part of the stars that Abraham cannot even number. That's why this matters. God knew what he was doing from the beginning. Jesus Christ was not plan B. He was plan pre-A because our names were written in the book of life before the world began. Okay, so that's why this matters. That's what he promises. He also prophesies that, that the Israelites are going to be captive in Egypt. That's what that little section there in the middle is, that they're going to be um, sojourners in a land that is not theirs. They're going to be serving others. But in the fourth generation, they will come back. Nothing is out of the sovereign ordination of God. He knows everything, and he ordains all things that come to pass. It's a mystery, y'all, and that's okay. The sacrifice. This is a key component. Look at verse 9. He said to him, God said to Abram, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three, goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Just saying, we would be in trouble if we lived back then. Like if God said, bring, I mean, all we have are cats and dogs and we have some fish in a tank. Okay. But, but this, this was normal. And notice Abram had this. 
God called on him to bring what he knew he had. So he says, bring these animals. And Abram brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, but did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey, the carrion birds, whenever they came um, down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Why? Because he cares about the sacrifice that he's making to the Lord. He doesn't just drop it and leave it. It's an intentional act he cares about. Verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And we'll, we'll touch on that here in a second. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire upon a flaming torch passed between these pieces. This is really important. This is the sacrifice. These are the animals. This is the blood that, that seals the covenant. But you've got to note this before we touch on anything else. Who passes through the sacrifice? Who's the, who passes through them? God and only God. This is really, really important. If you and I were to covenant together, and we, were to, and we see this in the Bible, and, and we were to do this where it was a mutual agreement, where it was a condition on this side meets a condition on this side, and so if that were to happen, then we would both pass through to show that we are walking through this covenant. Like both parties would walk through. It's, it's incredibly important to note that only God passes through. Why? Because God is making his promise to Abraham. This is an unconditional um, covenant, an unconditional covenant. Abraham, at this point, could completely deny God and could completely walk away and walk in total sin and wickedness, and God would still uphold his covenant with Abraham because God will not break his covenant. So it's really important to note that only God walks through. Abraham does not. What is Abraham doing? He's sleeping, right? Then God put him to sleep, by the way. You read that carefully. He falls asleep, and he goes into a deep sleep. But to walk through the sacrifices was to solemnly swear to the covenant. And so that God walks through, points to the covenant, that this is God doing this for and to Abraham. This is all God's doing, that Israel would come about, that we would come about. All right, so look at verse 12. This one was always kind of mysterious for me because it says that a great and terrible darkness falls upon Abraham. I think it's just this simple. I think today we have such a flippancy about the holiness of God that we don't understand this. We serve a great and terrible, not horrible, but great and terrible. In other words, it's unimaginable who the holy, like who this massive, majestic, holy God is. That we tend to think, like I have this idea that whenever I am in heaven, I am going to be running like to God and he's going to fully embrace me like the prodigal son moment. And I think that that's true. But I think that a very realistic understanding too is that I think whenever we see that God in, the, in his full presence, I think we're just going to bow our knee and fall. And I think that he will pick us up. But I think that that's a lot of what's going on. God came into the presence of Abraham, and there, there was a great and terrible darkness. There was an incredible humility and humbleness that came upon him. And if he were awake, he would have been in reverence. And so I think that that's what it's kind of alluding to. You go to Mount Sinai, and it says that God wrapped the mountain in smoke, and there were peals of thunder and lightning, so much so that the Israelites said, Moses, you go, we, we're not going. And so much so that God said, if anybody touches this mountain, they will surely die. 
Now, there should not be a flippancy. We should not be so comfortable with our God that we forget how holy and majestic he is. If we could get that grand vision again and that, that high and uplifted, then how much more would that change us? Uh, we can boast in all the riches of Christ, but we also have to reverently bow at that throne. And that even as we sing praises, may our knees buckle at who he is. I think that that's what it's really trying to get to. That there is this, there is this power that is overwhelming. And I think he had to put Abraham to sleep because all the presence of God was coming to pass through. What's the sign? <laughs> okay, you got to go to Genesis 17 for the sign. The sign of the covenant, because remember, there has to be a promise, there has to be a sacrifice, and then there's going to be a sign. For Noah, the sign is the rainbow, for example. For the Abrahamic covenant, it's this, Genesis 17, 1 through 10. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Y'all, that's our call, by the way. I'm God Almighty, walk before me, be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. So that's where we go from Abram to Abraham. Verse six, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generation for, a, like, check this out, an everlasting covenant. So this one goes on and on and on. To be God to you and to your offspring after you, and I will give you to, I'm sorry, I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan. By the way, hit pause real quick. Is Canaan ringing a bell with y'all? Y'all remember Canaan? He was from Genesis 1 through 12 in that series. But Canaan was the cursed one of Noah. Canaan's the, is that right? Am I, am I in the right? I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm having a little bit of COVID fog this morning. Okay, thank you. Okay, so, so Canaan is the cursed one who goes out from Noah. He's the one who walked in and delighted um, to, to see Noah naked, and he was cursed. And so this is the land of the Canaanites where, um, where Abram is. And God's saying, by the way, all that they have, it's going to be yours. So he's in that land. I feel like I'm saying Canaan and it should be Ham. Thank you, but Ham comes from, or Canaan comes from Ham. So he, Canaan is the cursed one of Ham. So Ham is the one who walks in, sorry about that, sees his father, and Noah curses Canaan, um, who's the offspring of Ham. I am sorry for that. Okay, so verse 9. And God said to Abraham, I'm sorry, the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Verse 9, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. So that's there. That's the sign, the circumcision. And Abraham follows it even at the age of 99. Oh, my word. Not going to lie. Whenever we had boys... One of my first concerns immediately was, okay, we got to do this, and I, I'm, I do not want to be a part of this. Um, but we did, you know, and, and but I cannot imagine being 99 and saying, okay, God, sounds like a great idea, and just walking through that. 
Such deep faith, not that he left his land, but that he would be circumcised at 99. That's great faith. What are, what's the sign of the covenant, y'all? Circumcision. That was an outward, so why? Why is that so important? Because it was an outward display of an inward change in an inward identity of who they were. There needed to be an outward depiction, an outward practice of who they were that communicated who they were. So this was something that made them very distinct from all the pagan nations around them, that they would do this. So to be of the circumcision was to be of God's people. That's what it meant. To be of God's people meant that you were of the circumcision. We sit here today still of the circumcision, but our hearts have been circumcised. The, the old heart has been, has been um, we're just going to use the word circumcised again. It's been circumcised. It has been made new, and, and the old has been cut off and renewed. So we are still of the circumcision in that regard. But here's our outward depiction, baptism. So in the new covenant, baptism is our sign. When somebody becomes a believer these days, we do not make them go through the process that Abraham went through, regardless of their age. What do we have them do? They make a profession of faith and they're baptized. So there's, there's that change right there. But the sign is circumcision. And I would also say this is just another small sign for us. Um, Abram to Abraham. Sarai to Sarah. Their names were changed as they covenanted with the Lord. He made them into something new. He gave them a new identity that was not completely foreign to who they were. But he, he changes their names. They, they, get the, they get this. Okay, so last point. All the divine covenants. This is not the only covenant. I'm going to give you kind of the, here they are, and then we're going to bridge all that. We're going to pull them all together, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper because of his divine covenants. Okay, so the first one I'm going to tell you about is called the Edenic Covenant. So you think of Eden, and I'm going to, I'm going to give you the overview of what they're called, and then I'm going to break them down. The Edenic Covenant is rooted in Eden, the Garden of Eden. There was a covenant there. Okay. And then the next one we run into is the Noahic covenant. So Noah with an I-C on it. So Noahic, so Noahic covenant. We're, we know that one, I think, but we're still going to look at it. Then there is the Abrahamic covenant. See what we do with them? So we throw the I-Cs. Okay. So the Abrahamic covenant. It's the one we're talking through. Then there's one, it's called the Mosaic covenant. So Moses um, we, we take that and we call it the Mosaic Covenant or the Sinai Covenant or the Sinaiic Covenant. And that's the one that happens at Mount Sinai. And then we have the Davidic Covenant, which is all about King David. And so you remember David and Goliath. Well, David's going to become a king and there's a covenant with King David. So David, ick at the end, Davidic Covenant. And then there's the New Covenant, which is where we are. But the New Covenant is a culmination of all those other covenants. Okay, so I want to tell you what's going on in each one of those so that as you read them in your own study, hopefully you remember. But if you don't, then God just makes you fully aware in this moment of what he's been doing from the beginning of time. Okay, so the Edenic covenant. Hosea, and I don't think you even see the word covenant um, in those first chapters of Genesis. It's only in Hosea 6, 6 through 7. So you can actually turn there if you want to um, be a Berean with me and check this. Go to Hosea chapter 6.
And some of you got there um, pretty quick. In my Bible, it's page 751, if that helps, uh, for the beginning of Hosea. Okay, so chapter 6 of Hosea, chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 6 and end in 7. God says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Why did I start there? Because I just kind of wanted you to like make sure you get the heart of that. All the sacrifices we make mean nothing if we do not love the Lord. And to have all this knowledge of God um, is much better than making the burnt offerings. So the relationship and the faith we have in the Lord, not holding to the law. But, but that's just a good one to meditate on. It's not all about your doing. It's all about resting in Him and Him being enough. Okay, now verse 7. But like a Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. So Hosea 6, 6, 7 tells us that there was a covenant in Eden. Adam and Eve were to work. They were to honor the Lord. They were to multiply. They were to, to fill the earth with God's glory and godly offspring. And they trespassed, they broke that covenant that they had with God. If they did this, then God was going to, God was bound in his oath. He had them vowed this. They were both going to be fulfilling this. This is called the Edenic covenant. And mankind broke the covenant. What do we know about covenants when you break them? It's at risk of death. Like that's the importance of breaking a covenant. What was the curse placed on Adam and Eve? That they would die. They died spiritually when they sinned, and then they ultimately died in the flesh. So the result was death. What was after that? There was bloodshed. They tried covering themselves with leaves. What does God do? He covers them in animal skin. God makes the sacrifice to cover their sin and to clothe them, and then he sends them out. There's grace and mercy in his clothing of their wickedness even in that moment. They transgress a covenant. God is merciful and doesn't wipe them out. So all of that, that was a conditional covenant. Adam and Eve were to obey, and God would preserve them. They broke the covenant. They broke the condition. So it was a conditional covenant. You with me so far? Okay, but there was a promise then. There was a promise in Eden in Genesis 3.15. There, there would be one who would crush the serpent's head. He would bruise his heel. He would crush the serpent's head. So there's a promise that we have right there, and so we're going to keep going. Next covenant we have is the Noahic covenant. By Genesis chapter 6, the wickedness and the sin of man had completely spread in the earth to the degree that God says that he's going to destroy the earth, he's going to flood it, but he saves Noah and seven others. He, he preserves these eight, and they are in the ark, and he sustains them. They survive the flood. They come out. What does Abraham do? He sacrifices to the Lord. He has these animal sacrifices. God covenants with Noah. This is an unconditional one. He covenants with Noah and says, I will never again flood the earth because of man's wickedness. So there's a, there's a covenant there, right? And then he even says, here's the sign. I'm going to put my rainbow, or really technically my battle bow, um, is what the Hebrew says. I'm going to put my battle bow in the heavens. And what some really cool children's Bibles do, they're really, really cool because they understand the heart of it. It says that God hung his battle bow in the heavens, but now the arrow would be shot up to heaven because it's going to pierce the heart of man. And it's going to be aimed, like he's going to take the full judgment that it won't be aimed at the earth again. It's kind of a cool imagery. 
Okay, so the Abrahamic covenant is all about how God will not destroy the earth by flood anymore, but he will bear with mankind, and he puts his rainbow there. Then we're at the, the Abrahamic covenant. Okay, I'm giving you them separately, and then you're going to see how they all pull together here in just a second. The Abrahamic covenant, God makes this with Abraham, who, by the way, is descended from Noah. Okay, so he makes it with him. It's a covenant to bless Abraham, to give him a land, to give, his, give him a people who will outnumber the stars. This, uh, there's a sacrifice, and God covenants with, with Abraham. This is an everlasting covenant. It's an unconditional one, and the sign of it is circumcision. We just walked through all that. Okay, still with me? Okay, cool. So we're going to keep going. The Mosaic covenant. This is a covenant that God made with Moses and the nation of Israel. They descend from Abraham, who descended from Noah. This is the covenant that was at Mount Sinai. This is where we get the Ten Commandments and all the law. And in this covenant, God says, you're my people, I am your God, but you must act in holiness and your life must look like this. So that was the purpose of the law. Y'all, the law is good. The law was always good and it was meant for good. We look back and we might say, and that's, who could keep that? Exactly. The law was meant to show us that we need a savior. Our greatest need from the beginning and even in this moment our greatest need is a Savior. We have all these other prayer requests, which are absolutely valid, but our greatest need, mankind's greatest need, has always been a Savior. And so I look at the law, and this is just, just give me one second. When we look at the law, we can look at it and go, oh, that's just weird. Or we can look at it and say, this is the mind of God and His holiness, so that we understand how radically different we're supposed to be. I don't think we have to fulfill the law anymore because Christ has already fulfilled the law. But if you and I were hearing the law and reading it, then and we're trying to follow it, then we're going to keep coming up to this reality of there's no way I can keep the law. And that's the right response. It wasn't about keeping the law. It was about understanding that God's grace and mercy was there when we couldn't fulfill everything. We cannot reach his holiness on our own. The law is good. Christ fulfilled the law. The law that's bad is the Pharisaical law, the Pharisees' law that happens in the New Testament. So um, right, right as the Old Testament is ending, right about here, like Malachi quits speaking, and then for us, we have a blank page, and then we have a page that says the New Testament. We turn it over, and there's Jesus. There are hundreds of years of silence where God doesn't even speak to Israel anymore. I like to read the book of Malachi because I want to know what happened that God finally said, I can't even bear to speak to y'all anymore. And then, then Jesus shows up. But this blank page, these couple of blank pages represent hundreds and hundreds of years of never hearing from God and only having this written back here. In that time, the Pharisees added to the law. They said, well, that law of God is good, but we're going to add to the conditions of it. That's the law that Jesus was always speaking so negatively against. He was saying, what you've made as the law is not what we have required. It's not what I desire. Okay, so go and slam it back into that, the Mosaic Covenant. This is a covenant where we get the good law of God, we get the Ten Commandments, and God communicates to them, here's what it means to be my people, 
Here's what it means for me to be your God. This was a conditional covenant. If they live according to God's standards, if they do, then he is their God. It's a conditional um, covenant. Okay, I want to keep going. Davidic covenant. There was King David, and God made a covenant with David and said, you will always, one of your offspring will always be on the throne. Your throne will endure forever. There will be no end to it. So this is why, as you're reading the Old Testament, they always love and praise the king. It's not always King Jesus. They're talking about the throne, the one that God says, David, you are a man after my own heart. You are the king, and I will always be with you, and there will be one who sits on your throne now throughout all of eternity. It's an everlasting throne. So Israel keeps looking at that throne saying, this is God's representative. This must be a really major person. So you can imagine then what happens whenever you expect the throne to last forever and then Babylonian captivity happens and the temple and the throne are destroyed. And then God brings them back. And what we know in the fullness is that Jesus is the offspring of David, who is the offspring of Abraham, who is preserved through Noah, from Adam and Eve, promised from the beginning. And his throne is without end for all of eternity. We get kind of caught up in trying to understand prophecies in the here and now and understand all the mysteries of God. And if we just look back through here, y'all, we will realize we need to quit trying to solve all the mysteries and just worship our king. Like they never get fulfilled the way that people in the moment think that they're going to be fulfilled. And yet we have books and bestsellers and we're sharing YouTube videos and posting on Facebook about stuff we have no idea. They kept looking for that throne to never end and it never ends. We just didn't get it. And now the new covenant. This is where we are. This is what we're about to celebrate. The new covenant. Okay, so turn to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. We're going to read this. We're going to read Luke. We're going to rejoice. And then we're going to we're going to have our fellowship meal and our Lord's Supper. Jeremiah chapter 31. In the Old Testament, before this intertestamental silence, like between the, the two testaments, before that silence, in Jeremiah, he's a prophet, and God says this. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Fuller understanding is with Christians. Okay. Verse 33. I, God, will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, their sins, and I will remember their sin no more. Everything that we delight in and have total peace in is the new covenant. They didn't have that. This is new. The danger is that we grow so old to it. May we get used to the gospel and comfortable communicating the gospel, but y'all, may we never grow old to the gospel to where whenever we hear it, we're just like, oh yeah. Whenever a missionary comes in, we're like, that's cool. But may we always marvel in God's goodness. He made a new covenant that is new. Like it's not like the old one. You know what it is? It's the culmination. I'm about to show you 
I didn't put this final summary together. Holman Illustrated Dictionary did. And I'm like, there's no way to do it any better. So I'm going to read that to you here in just a second. Okay. So he says in Jeremiah that I will make a new covenant and in it, I'm going to do several things that I'm going to, what's he say? Um, I, I will put my law within them. Like, and they, and I'm going to write it on their hearts. You and I may not be biblical scholars, but we also have a new understanding and a new conviction of what's right and wrong in those moments. That's why, and I think that some of those are personally, subjectively discerned between you and your God. He puts his law on your heart so that even if you don't know scripture, but you profess to know the Lord, you begin to have new convictions because his law is simply there. Okay, so we're going to get a new law written on the hearts. And then it goes on, um, uh, so sorry. And he says, I'll write on their hearts, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Like it's going to be clear in this new covenant that we belong to God. And then it goes on, says that we won't have to say, I won't have to say, Jackson, here's how you can know the Lord even better. It says that God will be so close to us that every Christian will know that he is their Lord. That's what that means. Like we're not going to have to train them up to somehow come to an awareness of here's how I know God, that whenever we say we know God, we will know God. Maybe in part, and we need to grow. That's part of our discipleship. But it's that promise that this is what's coming from the least of them to the greatest. Y'all, you know what's amazing? Jackson, a professing believer at the age of 12, wow, at the age of 12 right now, has all the fullness of the same spirit that's been given to me. Isn't that amazing? That as a kid's, know and receive the Lord. They receive the full portion of the Lord just as you and I do if I were to be saved or converted or regenerated at the age of 39. They shall all know from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, and this incredible one, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin. Y'all tell me how much? No more. The full forget. that's all the new covenant. Now turn to Luke 22. This is going to be our part of our script for today as we take the Lord's Supper. Y'all, this covenant is a covenant of regeneration or new birth. That's all part of this covenant. It's a covenant for the full forgiveness of sins. It's a covenant so that we can know God fully and a covenant that cannot be broken. This is an everlasting covenant that we have with our Lord. Okay, so Luke 22, verse 18. Based on some of your eyebrows, I'm hoping I'm in the right place. Is this the Lord? Okay. Okay. I'm telling you, am I not clicking my best this morning? So that's why I'm second guessing myself a lot. Luke 22, verse 18 through 20. Jesus is speaking to his disciples in the upper room, and he says, For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever we take the Lord's Supper, we're celebrating the new covenant. It's one of the signs for us. So this new covenant is a pretty big deal. Y'all listen to this. It's in the spilling of Jesus' blood on the cross that the sacrifice was made. Remember, there had to be a promise. There had to be a sacrifice, and then there was a sign. 
It's in the spilling of his blood on the cross that the sacrifice was made. In the baptism of our lives, the sign is manifest. When we observe the Lord's Supper, we remember and celebrate the new covenant. In the completed work of Christ, the new covenant makes us God's people for all of eternity. There is a condition we must believe. That's the sole condition of this covenant. We must believe. Any faithlessness is on our side. All faithfulness is on God's side. Whenever we believe in him, all of his faithfulness is imparted onto us. It's imputed onto us. And all of our sinfulness is imputed onto him. There's the great exchange that happens. The condition, according to scripture, is that you and I must believe in Jesus. And in believing, y'all, all the promises of the new covenant become yours now and forever. Jesus Christ brought us a new covenant. His death on our behalf is a solemn, oath-bound promise that he will never leave you nor forsake you. It's oath-bound, and God does not break his oath. So how does this all come together as we conclude? I told you I found this in the Holman Illustrated Dictionary. And as I was just studying covenants, I'm like, yes. Okay, here it goes. And I'll, I'm going to do it. It says, in the new covenant... Christ brings to fulfillment the promises and the purposes of the previous covenants. Listen to this. Christ is the seed of the woman that God promised would crush the serpent's head in the Edenic covenant. He's the seed of Abraham who would bless all of the nations. He is the goal of the Mosaic law. He is the king who sits forever on David's throne. And as Christ, he is Emmanuel and God with us. He brings to its consummation the covenantal themes that God, quote, will be their God and they shall be his people. From beginning to the end, Jesus is the fulfillment of all the covenants. We sit here today because these covenants, these oath-bound promises are good. We sit here because we have a God who covenanted with Abraham and Noah and through Christ, us. And he will not falter. There's great hope in that. I mean, I hope that as we get ready to pray, like we can genuinely say, God, thank you for your covenants towards us. He won't break it. You know how I know you will see another day, like in the fullness of God? Because he said, you will never be apart from me. Whenever I'm apart from this world, I hope you're sad. I'm not going to lie. I mean, that'd be kind of cool for you to be a little bit sad. But you should be celebrating because to not be with you, like you can be sad because you miss me, but you didn't lose me. I've been found for all of eternity, right? There is a promise that you will never be apart from your Lord ever again. You've been given a promise that your sins will not be weighed against you. They've already been weighed against Christ. All the wrath that was reserved for you has been poured out on Christ. All you know is grace and peace because God covenanted with his people and he didn't have to. From creation to consummation, it's all of a covenanting God in Christ. That's amazing. Because he wanted to. Because he's sovereign and he can do whatever he wants to. And it so pleased him to make a people for his own good. Why? So that we can be his people and he would be our God. Let's pray. Lord God, you are good. We thank you, Lord, for your word that reminds us and that shows us that you are not the God that everybody in this world wants to just manufacture. You are, you are a God 
who created and didn't step away, but who created and came. And so, Lord, we thank you that you came for us. Thank you for the fellowship of the saints. Thank you for your word that sanctifies us. Thank you for the truth that we can hold to. Lord, I love this, that even when we cannot hold on to you because we are frail and fickle and fragile, Lord, when we fail, you hold us fast. That's what your covenants are about. It's about you saying, I am your God. I am, and you are mine. Thank you for your grace. Amen.